one of the longest serving CEDEFOP employees and an award-winning expert on vocational education and training, or VET. Jens Bjornevold will be retiring in a few weeks' time after 26 years of service, first in Thessaloniki and then in Brussels. He joined as a seconded national expert from Norway and in the process received recognition as one of Europe's authorities on all things VET. Hello and welcome to the CEDEFO podcast Skillset and Match. I'm Rosie Vuduri and Jens is in the studio with me to tell us all about his distinguished career and how he sees VET's future. Thank you for joining us, Jens. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start from the beginning? How did you end up joining CEDEFOP? By chance, really, because I was working in Norway as a researcher. I was doing some evaluations of national reforms in vocational education and training for the ministry. Norway at that point joined the European Economic Area after having said no to the European Union, by the way. And that opened up for the possibility of having national seconded expert in EU institutions. And then the ministry told me, well, there is a possibility in this agency in Greece working on VET, so would you be interested? And yes, I was interested and my family was interested and off we went to Thessaloniki. That signaled the beginning of your career here. And of course, as you said, apart from the EU member states, Norway and Iceland are also two countries that CEDEFOP works with. Yes, that's correct. And, and that arrangement came about in 1996 as part of the European Economic Area Agreement and uh, has in a way stayed on like that. So I was, I think, the first national Norwegian expert to, to CEDEFOP. Yeah. Right. So you've worked across many research strands during uh, your career learning outcomes in VET qualifications, European qualification framework, validation of non-formal and informal learning, and more recently, projects on the future of VET are some that come to mind. What are the most important milestones in this journey? Personally, a very important milestone was the work we did in the end of the 90s and beginning of 2000s on the issue of validation of non-formal informal learning or how you make visible and how you value the learning taking place outside schools, outside the classroom, at the workplace, in at home and so on and so forth. I think that opened up very important perspectives on uh, how learning takes place in all kinds of contexts, not only in the formal education training, but in uh, all, so to say, uh, venues of society and life. And that was a very kind of eye-opener to the importance of lifelong learning, but it also an eye-opener to see what are the barriers, what are the obstacles to actually make lifelong learning and life-wide learning possible. Absolutely. And lifelong learning in general has been your expertise. And as we said, uh, the European qualification framework, the national qualification frameworks, comparison between qualifications across uh, countries. Yeah, no, uh, of course, I had this great opportunity because I was first three years as a national seconded expert and I got a contract for CEDEFOP. And then I got the opportunity to actually move from CEDEFOP into the European Commission to work on this issue related to validation, but in particular related to lifelong learning policies and VET policies, and also involved me in this very early work on the European qualification framework, because that work became very important and something which I took back with me when I went back to CEDEFOP from 2006 onwards. And of course, we have been working on that ever since, in a way, how to develop 
the European Qualification Framework, which is a sort of a translation device making it possible to understand the differences, but also the similarities between qualifications and skills across Europe. I'd say especially in the European Union, as there is free movement of people and learners, and it is essential for somebody who wants to go to another country to see how they can get a job there, how they can update their skills there, and things that they have learned, how they are interpreted in this new country. Yeah, no, that's the whole point here. And and I think that was the starting point if you have the freedom of moving around Europe. But if you cannot bring with you your skills, your competences, your qualification, this is just an absurd freedom because then you cannot realize yourself, you cannot move on. This is what uh, the European qualification framework was about. And then the gradual introduction of national qualification frameworks in all the European countries has contributed to give us a kind of a common language, a common reference points which makes it possible to understand similarities but also differences between qualifications. And this has been a gradual process. How much have things changed in these past 26 years? It has changed quite a lot if, if you look at the work on, on the European Qualification Framework and the National Qualification Framework. This has been a very kind of long process. Gradually, there's been an acknowledgement that these are tools which are actually useful also at national level. So the situation today is that I would say all European countries have introduced national qualification frameworks modeled along the original European qualification framework. So that's been, I think, a good experience that from being a very contested and complicated and thing which were much doubted, it has gradually moved into a situation where it's taken for granted and is being used by most countries as an instrument for transparency, yes, but also for reform of education training systems. What you have to do is to work on a voluntary basis and to actually convince member states that this is a good idea. Of course. And CEDEFOB has uh, helped some of these countries implement these national qualification frameworks. This work on the transparency of qualifications has been a joint work between the European Commission and CEDEFOB. CEDEFOB has been closely involved in this work from the beginning. So we work as, as a team on this. And of course, as things are being implemented at national level, of course, we also have a role to support the countries in doing this. So, for example, we have been mapping national developments on qualification frameworks all the way back from 2008-2009 and still doing that. We are also developing online tools which member states can consult to see what is happening in other countries. And uh, citizens, learners can see now the results of all this work because everything is done for them, isn't it? Yeah, gradually they are able to see that. But I must say, there's been a lot of work, preparatory work. So I think we still are not there. I think what we still need to do is to apply these uh, instruments better to make them reach individuals. That's some of the things we are doing for the moment. We are trying to, to deepen the information provided by the EQF so that the vision here is that the EQF will become sort of a Google Maps. You can get an overview, but if you want, you can drill down into a particular qualification you can compare one qualification to another one in another country according to your need. And I think that is something we are getting closer to. We are now connecting databases on qualification
qualifications in all the different European countries. We are describing qualifications in terms of competences or learning outcomes, so you're able to see what's the profile, what's the content of these. So we are getting closer to a situation where an individual can actually drill down to the level which is relevant for him or her. And I think that is where we need to get, let's say, in the next two to three to perhaps four years. And this is a great analogy that you use, Google Maps, that uh, especially young people can relate to. But going back to validation, which you mentioned, earlier this year, you were named first ambassador of the validation of prior learning Biennale in recognition of your long and valuable contribution in the field. How did this recognition from your peers feel? Yeah, it was nice. It just showed that, that when we started work on this in the mid-late 90s, we thought that this is an important area. But of course, it was a area or a thematic which was for the really kind of specialists or expert. It was more kind of an academic exercise. What we have seen gradually is that the kind of analysis we did then is still highly relevant because validation or recognition of prior learning is becoming a very important instrument for facilitating lifelong learning. Let's say you have a work experience, you move into formal education training. Validation is important because it would kind of make visible and value what kind of experience do you bring with you so that you can build on that. Don't have to repeat, you don't have to waste time in in relearning what you already know. I think the work we did, and it was not only me doing work, but Sedfop did important work in the end of the 90s, and we published a report in 2000 called Making Learning Visible, and I think that has played an important role in setting the scene and setting the agenda for this work which has followed after that. Absolutely, and that was one of the reasons you got this honor. But as you said, validation is a bit difficult to implement as compared to the formal qualifications, isn't it? Because you need to find out first what people have learned and how they learned it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you certainly need to identify what they actually know, exactly. what they are able to do, what they understand in a way. So, so that is the first phase, in way, the first stage, as we call it, the, to actually identify. And, and sometimes this might be the very most important phase because it's not only about people from the outside identifying what you have learned, but it's also for yourself to become aware of what was important here. Then you can move on to later stage, for example, to try to document, to provide proof of this learning. Or you can go into a, a formal setting where you assess it or go through a test or exam. And, and perhaps in some cases, you might even go towards a formal qualification. All these stages, and it just showed that this is kind of wide-ranging uh, process, but with a lot of potential, which unfortunately, I would say, in many countries have not been released and haven't been fully used. But I'm, I'm quite convinced that in the years to come, this will become more important as an integrated part of lifelong learning. Good news then for uh, individuals. Now, VET uh, has been discussed and proposed as a tool as an option to deal with the various crises of the recent years, especially regarding the digital and green transitions, that skills are now more in demand. Are policymakers and practitioners now better equipped, you think, to respond to these challenges and provide to learners and the labor market what is needed? 
There has been a change. I mean, I think that's something we have observed. For quite some decades, there was a lot of focus on academic education, higher education as the kind of solution to the, the problems we are facing. When we came to this economic crisis in 2008-9 and onwards, several countries observed that, well, we have increased the number of students in, in higher academic education, but we had not increased the people in vocational education training. So there was a kind of imbalance in the education training system. And at the same time, countries observed that people with a VET background had much, was much better able to integrate into the labor market and the kind of youth unemployment was much lower in the countries with strong VET system than countries which had invested mainly in kind of higher academic. I think there was a realization here that there's nothing wrong with uh, universities or higher academic education, but you need to balance your education system. And I think this acknowledgement has been important in the period after, because you see that countries in general now are quite uh, aware that they need to strengthen their vocational education and training system. We also see that initial vocational education training stands quite well out now, relatively speaking, to general education. So in some countries, at least, you see that that is increasing in popularity. And I think policymakers acknowledge that a society without vocational education training would not function. And I think that is what we see in most countries. We have been discussing this for some years now. And I remember when the first discussions were held, there was more pessimism about how much permeability can be between VET and the higher education system. I think in recent years, we see more and more VET elements into the higher education organizations. Do you get that feeling too? To some extent, one thing is that people now increasingly can move from the, let's say, initial vocational education training into, let's say, universities, traditional higher education. The permeability, as you say, has increased. There's more openness so that people are able to move if they want to continue after that into, let's say, university education, whatever, there, there's more opportunities. That has changed the last two decades. What we also see in parallel is the development of what you could call a second pillar of higher education, where you kind of develop more, the more advanced vocational skills and competences. So in a way that where you are not kind of saying that people should move from, let's say, initial vocational education training into the academic strand, but that you actually have the possibility to further develop, specialize, improve your current skills. And let's say working in the construction industry, that you might improve the skills you have gained or in whatever. And that seems to also be something the labor market is requesting more and more. There's a need for advanced vocational professional skills and competences, which are not necessarily the same as the, the kind of skills and competences you get from a more theoretical academic education. So I think in most countries, you see a strengthening of this um, higher vocational education and training. So you see new institutions, higher education or higher qualifications is not a monopoly of universities kind of delivering traditional disciplines and, and theoretical knowledge. It can also be something for the more practice-based and work-related uh, training. So, so it's a kind of an expansion of vocational education training to a higher level. And this is an important change in several countries. Indeed. And you have been studying these issues in the project on the future of VET. The conference on the future of VET, your final conference, seems to be an appropriate send-off. Do you feel that your work has achieved what you set out to do? 
I think we've succeeded in something. I'm very happy that we started this work on the future of vocational education training in Europe. We started that around 2015. And we have established that as a permanent strand of work on CEDEVOP because I think CEDEVOP needs to have this kind of focus. We need to try to create an overview, as we say in the project, that very often we we study the trees but we are not able to see the forest or the wood and i think these projects have actually tried to do that in a way is vocational education training becoming marginalized or is it actually expanding to understand what is the overall development in europe and not only to go into the details of particular aspects and uh, and also to use a long-term perspective because we have been basically looking at development since the early 90s until today and that gives us a time span which also makes it easier to understand what is going on and what is your perception or even your gut feeling about the future of it Well, I think uh, societies without VET is, you cannot imagine that in a way. So the question is more how the content and also the structures delivering VET is going to develop. Because if you look at the labor market, if you look at the occupation, if you look at the demand for skills, this is of course changing. So the question is how can you continue to deliver kind of practice-oriented labor market-related skills and competences in a high-quality way, both to, to serve the kind of integration of those at risk, but also to support the development of excellent skills, which you need. I was referring to the higher level skills. So it's a, this is also something in the kind of continuation of this future of at work, which will continue after I have left CEDEFOB. In retirement, what will you do? Well, I won't leave this totally uh, behind. I will, uh, of course, continue to do some work in this area. But the change is that I will, after 27 years abroad, move back to my home country. And I think that while I will continue to do work in this area, I will try to perhaps do it more in relation to the, the national context. I will try to use some of my experiences from the European and international to also contribute to the national development. So I will certainly continue to work, but in a more flexible way and leaving more time for other things, for example, skiing and being outside. And will you still follow CEDEFOP? I will continue to, of course, be in dialogue with good colleagues. I mean, we have we have a very good team here and it's also relevant for me to see what now is happening in the projects, which I've been involved in and some of them I've started, but more from a distance. Yeah. <laughs> Jens Björnevold, it's been a pleasure. Yes, and thank you a lot for being able to share some of my experiences and, uh, well, hope to see many of you also later and after I've left CEDEFOP. Thank you again. We'll be back with more on vocational education and training skills and qualifications. Until then, you can visit our website, cedefop.europa.eu, for the latest developments. You can also find our podcasts there and on all major podcast platforms. And you can follow us on social media. Goodbye.